If you're like most nonprofit leaders, you've moved up the ranks from frontline into supervisor or manager, and you might be feeling challenged with that transition from peer to manager. Today, we're going to talk about some challenges and some strategies to help you deal with that transition as you move up the ladder in your nonprofit. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Today, we are talking to Karen and Nicole from Organizations by Design. You're going to hear from Nicole's background around OD, organization development, and how all of that information helps us look at how we both develop ourselves and our organization. Karen is going to bring in her experience from being in those frontline roles to moving up to leadership. She talks about her journey in a organization for a lot of years, some of her relationships and how she dealt with some of that stuff. And together, Karen and Nicole walk us through some real strategies. Get a pen and a paper out because you're going to want to take notes and you're going to want to think about how this applies to you and what you're going to do, what next steps are for you to help you through this journey. Let's transition into the show. Karen and Nicole, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk about moving from the peer to manager and all of the things that come along with that for the leaders as they're working through this. So before we jump into that conversation, I gave the quick Coles Notes version of you two, but please tell us a little bit about yourselves. How did you guys start in the nonprofit world and how did you get to where you are today? Thanks for inviting us today, Kathy. And so um, as partners in Organizations by Design, Nicole and I are doing this work together because we want to give back to a community that helped us grow as leaders and as individuals. And what we found when we work together a little bit is that we have shared values that include things like relationships, honesty, integrity, uh, love of lifelong learning. And we both believe it's important to freely share resources and collaborate to strengthen our communities um, and the whole sector, the nonprofit sector as a whole. What we really enjoy is working with leaders, um, teams and organizations that share our values and philosophy and approach. And um, one of the things that we're really excited about is bringing um, community leaders together to learn um, in through learning communities of practice so that we can um, all support each other and have a stronger not-for-profit sector. Um, Karen, tell me where you started, because you weren't always doing this work. I was not always doing this work. So my background is in social work originally, um, and I do have some human human service admin um, a degree in, in that. And what, what my career has looked like so far is that I started working with youth serving organizations and rose quite quickly into leadership roles. And then I would go back to frontline and I rose quite quickly into leadership roles. And, and through that process, I really understood the value of being in relationship with people. It didn't matter if I was working with direct clients or with the people that I supervised or with my manager or with the community And that's kind of what led me down the path of wanting to work in administration in the human service field, because it is about that relationship. And and that's what I value most is is helping people, whoever they are, learn and grow and develop in this field. When you were doing frontline work, what kind of work were you doing? I worked in group care with teens that were in the care of children's services. And I worked in foster care, supporting the children and the families that supported those children. 
And I did a couple of, um, worked in a couple of agencies that were um, early interventions. So my last, my last job was a 20 year stint as a leader at Terra Center for Teen Parents, helping those young families, um, you know, embrace their, their parenting journey and grow as individuals. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of my my heart is in the early intervention sector. Uh-huh. We have similar backgrounds. I don't have a social work background. I have a child and youth care background. But I very much remember the days of chasing down AWOL kids. Yep. Now, we don't do that probably the same way anymore that we did back then. But I definitely remember those days. <laughs> Me too. And the on-call. <laughs> oh, yes. Overnights. Yeah, with Fiona. Keeping yep. an eye out what was going on. Yes. Yep. The good old days. The good old days. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Nicole, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I started as an occupational therapist and my work's always been in um, psychiatry. And I found a really cool job and did it for about 10 years, vocational counseling with uh, people from very different occupations and with very different um, kind of conditions that brought them um, to to me in the work that I was doing. And I got really curious about the organizations that they were working for um, because it seemed like they always weren't that healthy. And so I started to really get curious about um, organizational development and leadership. I went on to do um, an MBA in that specialty area and uh, have continued to kind of really do coursework in culture and um, organizational development. But I've had, unlike Karen's breadth, like Karen's had a lot of depth of, um, you know, in her field, I've had a lot of breadth. Um, Mm. My my CV is very, I I worked provincially with Alberta Health Services with some of those youth that you guys talked about. I (laughs) had a PTAD program, so there were four facilities in the province, um, you know, did mental health and addictions, um, you know, worked in... uh, yeah, in a number of different places. I was an executive director with the Alberta Graduate Student Association. So I've, um, yeah, I've had a lot of different um, work in all three sectors. So some work in the private sector, some work in the government sector. And then Karen and I met um, through Tara. I actually came in, I was, she was seconded to the city and I was seconded to come in and cover off um, some of the work that needed to be done while she was away. And when she returned, um, we sort of developed this um, really amazing professional relationship and and decided that uh, we were going to become partners. And we uh, now work with organizations by design doing leadership and organizational development work. And it really is our artwork. I got to go back for just a half a second. You're talking about you got interested in these organizations and what was wrong with them. Were you ever in one of those situations where things were, I'll use the word toxic, maybe not that bad? You know, oh, let's get ab- into the details. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was, um, uh, uh, sadly, there was more than one, but the one that I'm remembering was, um, you know, a leader that was extremely narcissistic and it was really um, all about her actually sat in a provincial call where she made a comment that she should be cloned um, because, you know, the rest of us were really not capable of doing the work that she was capable of doing. And I was just like, wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, um, you know, that didn't, 
go well, didn't end well. And, you know, I, it was, I had to leave. Like it was just an environment that was, yeah, that was really unhealthy. Um, people were afraid of her, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, and, and oftentimes it's about, you know, the leader, right? Because the leader sets the tone and, um, you know, their sort of style of leadership and how they relate with people and the relationships that they have and how much they value employees really um, creates that culture in that team or that organization. And so, yeah, which brings us full circle back to the topic of today, moving from peer to manager. And, you know, a few minutes ago, Karen, you were talking about your journey and you talked about PCAP funding. The acronyms change, but the organizations are still the same. And there are amazing organizations out there in the nonprofit sector. And there are a lot of organizations that are struggling and to Nicole's point around culture and stuff happens. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today and which happens for so many of us and me included you move from frontline to supervisor, to manager, to coordinator, to director, whatever, but you had different relationships when you start it with your peers. And then you get into this weird, awkward place where now suddenly you're their supervisor and things change. And that's, I think, part of what happens, what you're saying, Nicole, the leaders move up and the leader sets the stage. But if they haven't figured out how to do that transition, then things go crazy. So let's dive into that. What are the challenges with moving from peer to manager? Yeah, this is the challenge. And, and my journey has been very much like that. I have moved from peer to being a supervisor and manager a number of times. And each time I learned a little bit more. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah. So one of, the, one of the things that's really important is to, uh, one of the challenges is, is to understand that there's a difference between being a professional and being friendly or a friend. And so when you're, when you're supervising a peer who is possibly a friend, um, that relationship originally was based on your knowledge of them as your equal and as, as a person that you might know quite deeply personally, you might not know a lot about their work stuff, but there's an investment um, in that relationship as a friend, quite likely. And so then you also might know, or you might not know about some personal stuff that could affect their work. And so there's an unfair or there's an unfair advantage in some ways, but it's also a bit of a challenge because the new supervisor might have a need to protect and care for that person in a way that's that she or he would not do for a person they don't know as well. Um, And so it's, harder than to be direct and to be holding those people accountable because um, you might not know how to do that in that relationship if you have this really friendly relationship. And so um, it also applies in reverse. So the employee knows a lot about the supervisor and can use that for or against that work, right? And, And manipulate if they so choose or even unconsciously try to get things for themselves that they they mm-hmm. can get because they know that person. They know your um, weaknesses. Yeah. Like, like they know where to poke. Uh, they know, you know, the things that you've struggled with in the past, perhaps. I know a lot of times in, in friend relationships before you move into supervising, we're gossiping and complaining about the boss and the organization. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you move up and now you're supposed to be 
promoting and, and, you know, saying how wonderful the organization is. And they're like, yeah, but last week you thought it was shit. (laughs) What's the difference now? And so it's, so that's, so it's really important then as a supervisor to have those conversations with the employee in that relationship, well, all employees about what those boundaries look like. So, you know, anything that happens outside of work needs to stay there. Work conversations need to be about work. And they need to be focused on getting the work done and doing it well. Um, and there's a there's a need for transparency. So actually, for the last probably 18 years at Terra, I supervised a friend. I had worked with her in two other workplaces. She and I were friends. We'd been friends since the 80s. Um, and I told everybody up front, this person is my friend. I do supervise her. This is what our work relationships look like. But if you are ever uncomfortable because perceptions from other people are so powerful, I wanted them to know if they were ever uncomfortable or questioned something they needed to tell one of us because we need to address it before it becomes. Yes. Yes. And I also had to be open to hearing that feedback. Mm. Right. So I ever have anybody come tell you that. Yeah, I did. I had people say, you know, I think you're favoring this person. And, you know, so we would have a conversation, but I really needed to put my friendship aside because I needed to hear that person and what their experience was because of that friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know we're going to get into all the other stuff, but I just kind of pause here for a moment because you guys said at the beginning, this work has transformed you. My guess, Karen, is you didn't get to the point where you could have those conversations without doing some personal development work on yourself. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just touch on maybe a couple things that you've done over the years to develop yourself outside of the official leadership training? Well, I, I have done some personal coaching, um, executive coaching. Um, I have been in therapy to kind of deal with my own triggers in the world because none of us escapes this world without having some kind of something happen to us. Um, and then I have done a lot of work around leadership roles and leadership responsibilities. So like training and understanding, doing deep dives into what is my purpose in this organization? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. What, what, how do I need to show up? Yeah. Like, how do I need to show up to make sure that I'm doing the best job I can and making sure that the people I work with are doing the things that they need to do well. And so it is about having those deeper dives into that role clarity and accountability to myself mm-hmm. as well as to the organization. It's the self-reflective piece. It's not, what do I need to do to sign timesheets and make sure schedules are filled? It's stepping back and going and signing. Yeah, like, what do I need to do? What's my role? Okay, sorry for the segue, but I love that part because I think often this is the part that leaders forget is the actual work of leadership. It's growing and developing yourself so Mm -hmm. that you can go out and do the other work. Absolutely. Okay, any other challenges we want to cover? Did I miss anything? Oh, there's a few other challenges. Um, We talked a little bit about boundaries um, at work and outside of work. Um, and I think it's really, you know, important to make sure that you're really clear in a leadership role about the expectations, um, of relationships that might exist between peers outside of the workplace. 
and you know anything that you know is hap is happening out there that relates to the work kind of needs to be brought back into the work and I think to your point Kathy earlier that that work talk um, outside of work really be minimized because that gossiping that you might have been doing as peers or friends um, you know might not really contribute to a healthy supervisor relationship and you know it's no longer really appropriate for you as someone who's supervising other members of the team to be dissing you know um, <laughs> other members of the team when you're having you know wine on a Friday night with one of the other members of the team and so I think that's really important. Um, I learned that lesson way back um, as a group therapist, you know, when we talked about, um, you know, not just the clients that were in group, but also the staff that were in group. The expectation of the program was, is that if stuff was happening outside of the group room, um, that it be brought back in because we needed to process it. And I think the same thing applies in the work environment. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to touch on this later, but I just want to plant a seed now as well, you need to create new relationships to have those conversations with. And you guys are doing some communities of practice. I'm doing some communities of practice with AVNA, Alberta Home Visitation Network. Create those new relationships so that you do have somebody to have those conversations with. It's not appropriate to have them with your subordinates. I hate that word anymore. All right. Any other things we've got to cover here? I don't think so. I think that the perspectives of the other team members was covered, you know, um, in Karen's um, kind of commentary, really looking at um, being open um, to hearing feedback from others on the team if they perceive, because um, sometimes it may be their perception, um, you know, but it also may be something that you're not um, aware is happening. And I think that particularly applies when you get into the position where you're looking at promoting, um, you know, someone into a, a new opening or a new position or giving people stretch opportunities. Or um, I think that that you have to be really kind of extra um, cautious about ensuring that you're promoting a colleague who has the competencies and the skills and not just someone who you're friendly with yeah. um, because then you get somebody in a job that's you know not really capable or competent um, to do that job and that's um, that's not a good thing and we all know that's happened <laughs> all right so those are the challenges how about what can we leverage when we move from that peer to manager in a nonprofit what can we leverage with that journey well, I think that um, if we have those already established relationships with, you know, a friend that we've met in the workplace or a peer that we've worked with over the years, um, that's that trust um, that you have in that relationship is already in place. You've already established that sort of ease and ability to converse with each other. I think there's, um, I would assume there's some mutual respect there that you're able to give each other open um, and honest feedback and that you can be real with each other. So you don't have to establish or develop a relationship like you do with a new person. It's already there. And um, I think what my experience has been is that you have a dedicated, you know, team player and, um, you know, staff that really are committed to the, to the work. So, yeah. Yeah. Karen? Yeah. Yeah, I, so I think that another another thing you can leverage is that because you know this person, 
you can, you know, their strengths and you know, their capacity and you kind of know their learning style even and, and how much you can push them. So you can hold their strengths up and help them rise to their full potential. And so I, I because I worked with this person uh, that I talked about earlier, my friend um, in another organization or two, I knew her quite well and I knew her work strengths. And when she came to, to Tara, I didn't supervise her and I saw her flying under the radar. Um, and I let her because I didn't supervise her in a different department. And uh, once I became her supervisor and we established what our work relationship would look like, I started to challenge her and, and help her use her strengths and build on her strengths so that she could do even more um, for the organization and for herself. So not only did you see her strengths, but my guess is you've probably heard her whisper or say where she wants to be or how she wants to grow, or I wish I could be doing this more. If only they'd let me take on this role or something where that next level potential is, and you've got access to that. So absolutely. You can leverage that. Yeah. Um, and, And another thing that works really well to leverage is that if you're a supervisor who has done the job of the people that you're now supervising, that gives you some credibility because you understand the pitfall, you understand the workflow, you understand some of the challenges um, and you also understand some of the benefits of, of working in those roles. And so that does give you some credibility to have some really honest conversations with your, the people that directly report to you. And so I think that, you know, if, if you have a supervisor that doesn't understand the role, you have to earn that credibility. You have to learn that frontline experience. Um, but that's something that you come to the role with if you've just moved into a new role as a supervisor. So I think um, that gives the team also some quicker access to the expertise that, at hand. Mm-hmm. I was doing some training the other day and the leader came, this one lady came on late and there was a crisis in her organization. She just moved into the leadership position two days prior. So yeah, she'd been doing the frontline work, big crisis hits please show up at the door the whole bit right and of course they come knocking what do we do and she knew Mm -hmm. it she knew how to handle it she knew what processes to do she took control ran through it um because yeah you're right she had that frontline experience she could leverage all that but from a different lens yes and and i think it also gives the supervisor some some flexibility in terms of how to handle it because if if you're experienced in, in handling those situations you know some of the practices and policies that you can be flexible with yes and so that helps that situation resolve sooner than if you don't know those things yeah yeah absolutely any other things we want to talk about in terms of what we can leverage well I just when we talk about that you know that already existing friendship um you know I think it works the other way too we all know the responsibility that managing and leadership carries. And there's just a a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, all of us need to learn and need to keep learning, you know, as we grow as leaders. And I think if you have someone that's um, known to you, that's a friend, they can also provide you with some patience and some understanding and maybe even some valuable feedback on how you're coming across, right. In that new role for you as a, whatever supervisor, manager, 
you know, director, executive director, whatever role you've taken on. So I think there's a little bit of comfort in that. You're being too controlling. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I'll also talk to some of my students about or my clients about is rather than getting feedback, getting feed forward. And so I want to be better in this meeting at you know, keeping things on track and making sure we're staying on course, or I'm working on not rolling my eyes when something happens. And I always say, find a safe person that will give you that information. So set it up ahead of time. This is what I'm working on. I want you to watch for this. And that friend might be that safe person where you can create that relationship to get that feed forward. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are we ready to move on to strategies? We are already. Let's go. How many strategies we got? Four, five. Uh, It's okay. Let's start. A few. few. (laughs) All right. What's one of the first strategies? Well, I think one of the first ones is really developing a commitment um, to others, including those uh, friend um, friends in the workplace. And it really starts with learning about um, a number of things about them, their skills. So, Maybe this person was a friend, but we really don't know, um, you know, about their work skills. And so it's important to understand that um, whatever whatever those skills are, uh, the ones that they have, the ones that they want to develop through coaching or mentoring um, in order to help them grow their skill set uh, in, in their role. Uh, we need to also have an understanding of their interests, um, you know, how... How will they best fit into different, um, you know, opportunities within the organization? What are they hoping to do career-wise and how can we help them to grow, um, you know, um, to develop the capacity they need to to move um, and be promoted into those roles, provide them with stretch opportunities. Um, We need to understand their values. Um, Karen and I do a lot of work around this and we know that, you know, individual values um, and the fit they have with the organizational values are really critical uh, to a satisfying, you know, relationship um, and uh, role within the organization. Uh, And I think the other thing that we need to look at is aspirations, which each of those um, employees on our teams uh, to do all those things that I said earlier and to ensure that they're really feeling like they're valued um, members and that their contributions are really making a difference on the team or in the organization. I think you're right. We need to do that with everybody, but especially these people that we've been friends with. We need to create that awareness, that ongoing conversation about who they are and how to grow them for sure. Yeah. All right. Next. So another strategy I would call onboarding, but it it is about that deepening of this new relationship. So, you know, whether you're you're, uh, in a new position um, or bringing a a peer or a friend into a new role that you supervise, there's a piece of the conversation at the front end about what does this relationship look like? I'm in a supervisory role. You're in the employee role. What, what does that mean for us together? Who's doing what, what's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? How are we going to communicate? Um, And, and expectations around that supervisory relationship. And so every supervisor will have their own style, but you know, is it open door? Do you need to create a list to come to supervision? Is it, is it scheduled supervision? 
when can you call me in a crisis? Those kinds of things I think are really important part of the onboarding process and that relationship, defining that new relationship. I love what you're talking about because I think often we we look to, we have staff meetings on this day. These are when timesheets are due. We got to follow these policies. But what about your style and communicating your style and your expectations? And you can. Like, I think lots of people just slide into it and assume that they have to sort of, if everybody wants me, I go. And if somebody tells me this, I do that. And it's stepping back going, okay, no, this is the new me, a new person in this role. What are my boundaries? What is my schedule? What am I willing to do or not do? And please don't have an open door policy. Um, Have a time of an open door policy. (laughs) (laughs) And, And to your other point, then also be aware of, when can you knock on the door and ask for help? What level of crisis is okay to knock on the door? Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you don't have those conversations, you'll really burn yourself out fast. Yeah. And, and I, I learned from experience because I was, you know, <laughs> initially, it's like, I don't know, I'm just here. Just find me if you need me. Um, but I learned pretty quickly that that doesn't work and that I wasn't able to do my job and I wasn't able to then support the employee as effectively as I could if I just was randomly everywhere doing all things at all times. Yeah. So having dedicated work time, like protected time was really important in creating those boundaries for myself, but also for the employees. So they knew that if they saw protected time in my calendar, I must be doing something boring, like a funding document. (laughs) Um, and it must be a crisis for them to interrupt me. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, but I learned that the hard way. And, and if I can share anything I've learned, I would say, don't learn it the hard way, set it up at the beginning. <laughs> yes. <way> better. <laughs> way easier. All right. Next strategy. Um, so the other thing is I have, I have a story, I had a learning. So understanding my role as a leader also was, um, a challenge at times when I had a relationship with, with an employee. And so, I worked with a woman for a long time and, and we grew quite close. I was always her supervisor, but we grew quite close because we had some shared values and you know how that happens. And, mm-hmm. and she was having a hard time in her life with many things with herself and her husband. And I started being sympathetic towards her and I started taking care of her and I started allowing her to kind of do what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. I see where this is going. (laughs) And I realized I needed some help figuring out what to do because she needed to be present at work or to take a leave. Like there were some choices for her. Um, I, so I engaged in a coaching relationship with somebody uh, who helped me um, uncover, you know, really essentially what, what is my role? What am I doing? What is the most important in this work relationship? And I realized my role is to support her to be a good employee. And so I needed to have a conversation with her about that. That I So I went back to her and said, I've been taking care of you and I care about you. That's mm-hmm. not my role. My role is to make sure that you as an employer are doing the job that you are paid to do and that I'm supporting you to do it the best you can. Yeah. Right. And so that was a real learning experience for me just to be able to walk through that with her. Um, and it gave me a lot of clarity around some other relationships where I might be taking care of people <laughs> as opposed to being a supervisor, a leader, a mentor, a coach. Yeah. Right. It goes back to that self-awareness piece. Are you guys both journalers? Do you journal? Uh, yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Some people aren't, and you don't have to be a journaler to be self-aware. It's a a tool to become more self-aware. And I think part of it is, is, is creating the space, the time to do that. But stepping back, like you say, going, what is my role? What's the impact of having? What am I doing? What are my triggers? Oh, that caregiver in me is like, you know, taking over and really starting to do some of that self-reflection piece. And I think you're right. As we move from peer to manager, self-reflection is one of those things that we have to take on as a part of our new role. Absolutely. It's so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. All right. So those relationships, onboarding, self-awareness, what are some other strategies? Um, Yeah. So I think just a little bit further to that, developing that self-awareness, we use a whole bunch of, um, you know, self-reflection and self-awareness tools and techniques when we're working with our clients. Journaling is one, but there's nine other ones that we won't get into today. Um, I think uh, we wanted to touch on the whole um, idea around the emotional intelligence, especially when it comes time to have some of those difficult conversations. Um, You know, that one of the ones that Karen just gave an example of. So there's times um, and, you know, it happens uh, with friends if we're supervising them in the workplace. And I know Karen and I are really different styles. I'm the, I'm the one that's more likely to have that direct conversation and to not put it off because I understand what can happen if we don't sort of address, you know, the elephant in the room or talk about, you know, the things that we need to talk about and figure out a way to learn our way forward through that conversation and, you know, how I can be providing resources um, for them to do that um, and or how I can be providing them, removing barriers for them in order for them to do their work. Um, so, you know, being able to have those difficult conversations is a really important capacity and skill set that um, needs to be developed. Uh, so so come back to that for a minute, Nicole. How do, how do new leaders learn emotional intelligence? Well, I mean, they learn it through experience and through self-reflection and learning what they, um, you know, um, didn't really quite do right that time and how they might learn to do it. Um, differently. I think um, they, they learn that in their relationships with, with their peers um, around, you know, all of the things that are related to that, like being able to empathize, um, you know, with the situation someone's in. Um, Yeah, I, 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 it's a tough one to learn. Like you say, it's, it takes over time. I have a course inside my membership site that I teach around emotional control via emotional literacy. So understanding emotional words and what they mean and how they show up and what's going on in your body. And again, that's not often a leadership tool that we're taught. But back to what you guys were talking about earlier, we all get triggered. Well, what's the trigger? And what's the emotion? I mean, I can be angry, but underneath that anger might be embarrassment or rage or, you know, shame, there's a whole bunch of emotions underneath. And so the work I often do is it's called emotional granularity. It's like taking anger and grinding it down and going, okay, what's underneath the anger, right? Um, And and we do that piece. So that's one tool that I have that I often teach, but I think you're right. It's it's an ongoing process and self-reflection is critical in that. And I I think um, the other thing, it's something that Nicole and I teach in some of our workshops is around having skillful discussions and dialogue and really understanding 
communication styles of other people. And that that's part, that's a tool that you can use to yeah. sort of expand on your emotional intelligence, because if you start understanding how other people work and what's important to them, how they communicate, how you need to be in a dialogue with them, then you it can close the whole process down a little bit and allows us to be more intentional. Well, and, and we do get into mental models and we talk about, um, you know, the latter inference and we look at how, you know, beliefs or assumptions or values we have might be influencing, you know, thoughts that we have in the workplace. Um, you know, we, we, we do a bit of cognitive behavioral stuff. And so, yes, like you said, Kathy, it's like, what, why am I having this reaction? Like what's underneath this, what's driving this and being able to create those safe environments, whether it's in a one-on-one um, uh, with someone you're supervising and having that, you know, conversation about what might be happening or what's going on that needs to be addressed or being able to do that in a team. Um, yeah, there's lots of, uh, lots of really good activities, exercises, um, and tools that we can use. I think the last, um, strategy that we wanted to kind of highlight today was that one around accountability. Um, you know, being able, uh, when we're working with supervising someone that's a peer friend, to ensure, like Karen said earlier, that you know you're here um, to do a job. You have a role that has responsibilities. Um, you know, your um, there's expectations, there's timelines, there's you know um, things that are part of your job description. Um, you know, that we pay you, we pay you a salary to do those. And so being able to ensure that you can connect um, that individual's role with the organizational mission, um, with the vision, with the, you know, program, you know, outcomes or objectives uh, is a way to kind of depersonalize, but also to hold them accountable, hold their feet to the fire. And in those, um, in that strategy, we're really talking about um, making it about the work um, and the job that needs to be done and not really about the person. So, yeah, I think um, accountability and ensuring that we're holding our friends accountable for the work that and they're doing. That's a, that's a perfect question to ask in self-reflection journaling. What's my job, right? Like if you just sort of write that down and answer that, you'll get some insights into, oh, yeah, my job is to not this, right? So yeah, when I when I think about self reflection, I mean, we don't have to make it anything crazy or weird or hard or really deep dive. Uh, I mean, you certainly can if that's the, the direction you want to go. But yeah, what's my job here? Yeah, what's, what's going well? What's not going well? What do I need to focus on? You know, what? Are, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what should I start doing, stop doing and continue to like, I mean, there's some real simple questions that you can start to ask yourself. The key is to create that time to do it. Yeah. And I think Karen gave us a perfect example of that earlier when she talked about the coaching she did. And she said, you know, my job is not to take care of you, yeah. you know, and protect you from things in the work environment. My, my job is to supervise you and to support you to be able to do the work that you, you know, come to do here every day. That's my role as your supervisor. Well, and I will add one more strategy that will wind us up for today. Don't do this alone. There's 
you know, as Karen has spoke to, there's coaching. I mean, I offer coaching, but there's a ton of other coaches out there. Find a mentor, find somebody to reach onto. Your supervisor probably doesn't have a lot of time to support you. You know, as we move up the ranks, we have less time and we think that you've got it. So find somebody to mentor you, guide you. And, and for me, it was my contract specialist. It wasn't even somebody in our organization. It was the person who was helping me write the contracts that, that gave me a lot of that mentorship. Uh, so, you know, we talked about communities of practice or coaching, get therapy, take training, find other women, create a book club that are also, you know, in leadership roles, but don't do it alone. It, you, you leaned on your friends before, create a new peer group supports to, to move into now. Absolutely. And there's, there's lots to be learned from being in relationship with other people from other organizations, especially if they're in similar kinds of roles, leadership roles. Yeah. Yeah. One of our practices, Kathy, is um, following a group coming together to do a a workshop is we build those um, learning communities of practice. So right now um, we have a collaborative learning teams group. We have a Senge group. We're about to embark on an emergent leader um, learning community practice. So we bring those individuals or at least give them the opportunity to continue that learning together um, that they've started and to support each other in um, the roles that they've taken on in the different organizations that they come from. Well, that leads us to winding up here. Thank you, ladies, so much for being on here. But tell us, Karen, you started talking about what you guys do. Tell us where everybody can find you, what's coming up, Where do you want to send them to find out more about you guys and the work that you do? Um, Well, Nicole, please jump in. Um, So we have a website, um, organizationsbydesign.ca. And we'll Um, make sure all of the links that these guys drop will be in the notes. um, All of the information about who we are, how we work, um, our upcoming workshops are on the website. And we do customized training of all of our programs. Um, there's some stuff coming up in the spring uh, around building learning communities of practice, which is um, building learning teams, sorry, uh, as well as our change endurance series. Um, so yeah, like Karen said, it's really a good idea to kind of peruse the website. We also do a monthly um, blog. And so if you're interested in getting our newsletter, um, please, you know, sign up for, for that. Awesome. Thank you again, ladies, so, so much for sharing some insights, some ideas, and your own personal journeys. I think people love to hear that they aren't alone and, and to know that somebody else has been through this and come out the other end and that they can too. So thank you so, so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, thank Kathy. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening 
Go make the rest of your day awesome.